Welcome to the 249th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in college basketball, where Patrick went 3-1 and with his weekend predictions. Going over to the NBA, Patrick had a little rough week. He went 0-4 with his NBA predictions, which made him 3-5 and for this past week and brings his overall record to 1,008 and 647. That's a 60.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, it's um, always hard to uh, predict NBA games straight out of the All-Star break. You just never know what uh, what's going to happen with certain teams. Um, but I'll go back to college basketball. For the start, um, number two, Houston beat number 11, Baylor, 82 to 76 in overtime. That was a great game. Uh, Houston led by as much as 17, I believe. And then uh, Baylor actually never led in the entire game uh, until with four seconds left, they tied it up. And that eventually sent it to overtime, even though Houston actually did get a buzzer beater in, but they got it off maybe two tenths of a second too late. Um, and that would have ended the game, but then Houston did get the win in overtime. So didn't matter that uh, after all that, Baylor did make it close, although it's a good sign for Baylor that they could do that against such a good team. Um, but then you have number 20, South Carolina, who beat Ole Miss 72-59. to uh, A good win for South Carolina. They were trending in the wrong direction over the last week or so. Um, so to get that win on the board for them was a good uh, reset they needed for their tournament hopes. Ole Miss really needed that win for their tournament hopes because they're sliding even more from an already lowered position. Um, At this point, it's looking like they're not going to make the tournament at all. Um, But I got both of those two right. Um, Number 17, Kentucky beat number 13, Alabama, 117 and 95. Just a ridiculously high scoring game. Um, But Kentucky did come out with the win there. They are a strong, strong offensive team. If they can play just a little bit of defense, uh, they're really, really dangerous come tournament time. The problem is basically that has been the MO of that team all season long. You can always say if they play defense. And the problem is it's been an if all year long. It has never really happened outside of maybe one game at Auburn. Um, But Then you have North Carolina, number 10 in the country, who beat uh, Virginia um, 54-44. That is the opposite of the Kentucky-Bama game. I got that one right. I should have mentioned I got the South Carolina game wrong. I I flipped those two. Um, But North Carolina did win this game, and I predicted them to win this game on the road, uh, putting Virginia in a pretty tough position when it comes to making the tournament. They kind of needed this win for a signature win on their resume, and they're not able to get it. Their metrics aren't the greatest. And the perception of that team is kind of waning after it was uh, really high after they had won seven or eight games in a row. But now it's uh, definitely declining and people don't exactly think Virginia is that much of a threat, myself included. I think they're terrible. Um, But then you have the NBA, of course, where I went 0-4, unfortunately. Um, The 76ers beat the Cavs 104-97. Cavs were so hot going in the All-Star break. 76ers, not the case. Um, Not playing with Joel Embiid still. So... Figured the Cavs would be good enough to go on the road and get that win. They were not. Um, The Pelicans needed to defend their home court against the Heat, but I forgot that the second half of the season means that the Heat are now in playoff mode. So, of course, the Heat beat the Pelicans 
105, um, 106-95. Uh, the Bucks beat the Timberwolves 112-107. That was probably the close game that I didn't – I mean, that and the Cavs game were probably the two games that I didn't feel bad about predicting them wrong. Um, it was a really, really close game. The Timberwolves led for a good portion of it. It was ba- it was a back-and-forth game. Um, but the Bucks had struggled with Doc Rivers, and I didn't see that, you know, the all-star break was going to just magically change that. So I picked against them and uh, came back to bite me because they're now starting to play up to their standards, um, of at le- or at least up to the standards of the talent that's on that roster. Um, but then I picked... Uh, the Kings to lose to the Clippers, that's always an emotional hedge for me. Um, I think I'm 0-4 picking Kings games this year. I pick them to lose every single time, and they have won every single time, which I have been okay with because, you know, um, I don't want to jinx my team. But at the same time, I might pick them to win, and then if they lose, then I'll probably just stop picking their games entirely. Uh, but that game was also without Paul George for the Clippers, which is weird coming out of the All-Star break that players are already injured. Um, that weren't injured before, but that's a different conversation. Uh, but the Kings, there was a close game at the half, and then the Kings erupted in the second half. Um, did a really good job defending the three-point line in that game. And as a result, they were able to beat the Clippers on the road. Okay. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Let's uh, you know, s- stick with the NBA, but instead of predictions, let's talk about your uh, most impressive teams of the last week. Unlike my predictions, none of these teams lost a game. Um, the Heat... They went 2-0. They beat New Orleans. They beat Sacramento. Um, it feels like they do this every single year, but we're here again. It's the second half of the season, and the Heat woke up out of the All-Star break. Uh, they claimed two victories over current Western Conference playoff teams. I guess technically the Kings are a playing team, but, you know, the West is deep. That's the, they're, Both of those teams have better records than the Heat do. So, um the Heat just, you know, it's just every year. I mean, honestly, I, I have no, there's not really much else to say about it. I mean, they just continue to play so well in the second half. They did that without Jimmy Butler as well, um, which makes it even more impressive. This game against the Kings, it was led by Jaime Hawkes with 26 points on 12 of 17 shooting and Bam Adebayo with 28 points on 11 of 18 shooting. Almost had a triple-double for Bam. Um, and they did a good job of, well... They didn't necessarily shut anybody down on the Kings. Demonis Sabonis did have a triple-double. De'Aaron Fox had 27 points. Uh, Keegan Murray had 28 points on 10 of 14 shooting. But outside of those three, everybody had pretty poor shooting nights um, for the Kings, and that was eventually the downfall, even though they did shoot 52% from the field and 41% from three uh, as a team. But the Heat able to come up with the win, and as a result, um, they get on this list also for beating the Pelicans on the road, who should be fighting for playoff position, but they're not playing like it, which we'll talk about that later. Um, then you have the Bucks. They went 2-0 this week. They beat Minnesota, like I said in my predictions, um, and they also beat Philadelphia. Uh, that win on Sunday over the Sixers was dominant. Um, they won 119-98. Uh, it's just, it looked like what you would assume the Bucks should look like. And it's not just because Bobby Portis had 17 points and Malik Beasley had 20 points also. It was just a good performance overall um, by everybody. Dame had 24, 9, and 7. Uh, Giannis had 30, 12, and 9. So almost two triple doubles on the same team. Um, and really everybody for them was uh, pulling their weight. They shot 49% from three, made 18 threes in the game. Um, so, you know, when they perform like that, it's really hard to beat them. Uh, they did a good job on the defensive end as well. 
held Maxi down to 24 points, held the Sixers just 37% shooting as a team. So the Bucks just doing a good job of actually playing well um, now that they are over the horrendous start to the Doc Rivers era. Um, so considering they lost the last game of the All-Star break um, to by losing, sorry, considering they had lost the last game before the All-Star break to the Memphis Grizzlies, um, this is a much better sign for Milwaukee, but we'll see if they can keep it up going forward. Um, of course, then you have the Celtics. They went 2-0. They beat the Bulls and the Knicks. Look, the Celtics rarely end up on this list, and I've talked about this. They've just set a, such a high standard for themselves over the course of the season. But I should be mentioning them more often, especially when I have some one-loss teams on here. Um, and I'll do that this week, um, especially because it's a shortened week. A bunch of teams only played two, two, um, two games. A bunch of teams played three. Um, but I will say... They have won eight in a row now, and they lead the Cavs by seven and a half games for the number one seed in the East. There is a larger gap in the standings between them and the Cavs, who are in second place, than there is between Minnesota, the number one seed in the West, and Sacramento and Dallas, who are tied for the seventh and eighth seed in the West. So the level of dominance by by the Celtics is just something to marvel at. They have been uh, off the charts all season long, and it continues to be that way as we start the second half. Um, then you have the Thunder, who went 3-0. They beat the Clippers, they beat Washington, and they beat Houston. Uh, they've just continued to keep pace with the top of the West, and the young roster is standing the test of time. You know, a lot of people ask, can they keep it up throughout the whole season? Is this a first-half fluke kind of a thing? But the fact of the matter is, they have reliable players. Um, even if they're young, Jalen Williams, uh, Chet Holmgren, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, those are reliable players. Uh, Josh Giddy's going to pretty much every night get into double figures and have a good amount of assists and also some rebounds as well. But Shea Gilgis-Alexander is playing like an MVP. Chad Holmgren is playing like a rookie of the year if he wasn't facing maybe the best prospect in the rookie season of all time. Um, and, and, you know, just overall, this team is – it's solid. I mean, they have Shea, – Shea is top four or five in scoring, I believe. He's also up there in assists. He's definitely top ten in steals. And then you have Chad Holmgren who is top – 10 and blocks as well. So there's just a lot to like on this Thunder team. Um, and, you know, three wins immediately after the All-Star break is a great sign for how they will do over the rest of the season. And they're now tied with Minnesota for the one seed, despite all the potential talk about Denver or the Clippers catching up to those two eventually. It just hasn't happened yet. All right. Well, let's move to the flip side of the coin and go to the least impressive teams of last week in the NBA. I will start with the Clippers, who went one and two. They are... Actually, they were also on the opposite end of the Shea Gilgis-Alexander trade that uh, gave Shea to OKC. But speaking of OKC, they lost to OKC this week, also lost to Sacramento, like I mentioned in my predictions. Their only win is because is against uh, Memphis, but I should mention, they would have been on this list regardless based on their schedule. However, they're not all the way up here because of their performance. Uh, they wouldn't have been number one, but because of the awful new logo that they have, I'm putting them number one. Um, I'm fine with the jerseys, but the court looks okay. Um, the The dome itself is going to be massive and ridiculous. But look, whatever that logo is, the sea, the compass, the ship, the Mariners ripoff logo, it looks like the Cubs Wrigleyville City Edition jerseys, which are some of the average-looking City Edition jerseys, which are generally regarded as the worst specialty jerseys in all the major sports. Um, it just looks bad. So 
that, that's why they end up number one here. But, you know, on the basketball side of things, uh, they lost to the Thunder and the Kings while giving up 120-plus points in both of those games. Uh, and considering the personnel on this team, that just shouldn't happen. So they're on the list for that. Um, pretty much all the the winless teams this week were the five worst teams in the league, of course. I'm talking about, you know, the Pistons, the Spurs, the Wizards, the Blazers, the Hornets. They do that every week. So I did mention them a few times heading into the All-Star break, but at this point, it's just not worth it, um, especially because the Pistons actually should have beaten the Knicks last night, but they kind of got screwed over in that game. Um, so the Clippers are on here. All of these teams are one and two uh, playoff teams, but the Clippers are number one because of their uniforms mixed with bad performances on the court. Then you have the Pelicans. They only beat Houston this week, and then they lost to Miami and Chicago. Look, they played two Eastern Conference play-in teams and one Western Conference team that's entirely out of the picture at the moment, and they only ended up one and two. Um, in my opinion, playoff teams should be two and one at the very worst against that type of schedule, especially with all three of those games at home, um, and, and probably should be three and zero honestly. But you know, the Pels are sliding in the standings and are nearing play-in territory after their slow start to the second half of the season. If the Kings had beaten the Heat last night, they actually would have been tied um, for the sixth and seventh spot. So they would have been in play in territory last night. Um, but lucky for them, they did not. But it doesn't look like the Pelicans are playing better than most of the teams under them. Um, you know, Dallas is down there, even though they had won a billion games in a row. So uh, I don't really think they have uh, much of a chance to hold themselves out of the play. And at this point, if they keep playing the way that they have been recently, um, but then you have the Cavaliers. They went one and two this week as well. They only beat Washington. They lost to Orlando and Philly. Uh, they ended the first half so hot, but they just couldn't sustain that energy in the first few games out of the break. There are some really dangerous teams in the Eastern Conference standings, and I think Cleveland needs to show some more urgency to make sure they stay out of that range before they draw a tough playoff matchup. You never know how far the Sixers will slide without Joel Embiid, but then by the time he comes back, which I assume he will, um, and I think the league-wide assumption is that he will at least be ready for the playoffs. Um, although I guess there's no guarantee, but that's the assumption. Um, if you're playing Joel and Bede in a four or five series, I mean, that just avoid that. You shouldn't let that happen. And even if the Sixers come back, start playing better, and they knock a team like the Knicks down to the five seed, you also don't want to play them in a four in a seven-game series. We saw what happened when they played last year. So it'd be best to stay out of the middle of the standings. Um Maybe get a matchup against the Magic out of the play-in. Maybe the Pacers with less experience. Uh, maybe not the Heat. I guess that's kind of the one wild card, and you don't know where they're going to end up in the standings because they tend to just do enough just to get into the playoffs, but not enough to get a real uh, a good seed ever. Um, but Cleveland should avoid the middle of the standings just because you never know who could be lurking there. Um, and then finally, you have the L.A. Lakers. They also went 1-2 and two this week. Uh, they beat San Antonio, but they lost to Golden State and Phoenix. They find themselves on this list way more often than they should. But the facts are that this team has one injury and immediately everything gets derailed, even though that definitely shouldn't be the case because they have more talent than that. Um, they only claim to win this week over one of the league's worst teams and struggled to stay competitive against the two currently borderline playoff teams that they did play. As a play-in team, that's a bad sign because they are going to play a team at the level of Golden State or Phoenix in the play-in, that's for sure. I mean, Dallas is down there right now. If Dallas passes up Phoenix, then all of a sudden, both Phoenix and Golden State will be in the play-in bracket with the Lakers. So they need to start playing better against teams like that. And the injury I'm referring to is Jared Vanderbilt. It felt like they had no defense um, against Phoenix when I watched that game just because he wasn't there 
Um, Yusuf Nurkic looked like Nikola Jokic in that game. So, you know, the Lakers need to figure out how to play when they have just one injury. It can't be that they're this glass cannon team, glass cannon team, especially because, frankly, they have a lot of injury-prone players. So I don't think that they can be a team where one injury derails them that much when they have the personnel that they do, but it seems like that's what they are, and we'll see what happens with the Lakers as the season continues. But it's been definitely a disappointing one for Los Angeles. All right, that wraps up our look at the NBA. Uh, let's close out the podcast by turning our attention to the week in college basketball. It was a crazy week in college basketball. Of course, by the time you get to this point in the season, everybody can beat everybody. That includes number 15, Creighton, who beat number one, UConn, 85-66, to start off the, well, not to start off the week, but to start off what we define as the week. Um, and by the way, it's worth mentioning, um, Creighton would go on to lose to a bubble team later in the week, and we'll get to that in a second. But it's just how crazy college basketball is. Again, any team can beat anybody at this time of the year. Um, that win was the first time that UConn had lost in a very, very, very long time. <laughs> um, UConn would bounce back. Tristan Newton had a triple-double, and they killed Villanova on Saturday. But it is still worth mentioning that UConn did finally lose a game. Um, not necessarily enough to drop them from number one uh, in the AP poll, at least in my personal rankings, I didn't drop them at all because I just don't think that one loss on the road at Creighton when they shoot the lights out of the ball is enough to warrant that. But Creighton moved into the top 10, despite the fact that they eventually lost this week. And that's kind of interesting, um, which talk about that in a second. But number five, Tennessee beat Missouri uh, 72 to 67. So that was a Good win for Tennessee on the right. Excuse me. Creighton did not move to number one. They actually moved to 12 um, or to to the top 10. And UConn actually did move down to three, but literally a one point margin between them and Purdue. Um, So they they maybe didn't need to fall. And, you know, depends on the rankings. Um, But number five, Tennessee beat Missouri 72 to 67. A good road win for the Volunteers. Uh, Really starting to shine out of that group that's, you know, I don't know if you can say Houston's a part of a big three at the top of the the rankings. I would like to put them there personally, but I don't know if a lot of people agree with that. I think still, I think still, I think it's valid to either say that Houston is a part of that group. They're their own group that's in between UConn, Purdue, and then the rest of everybody else. Um, But regardless, Tennessee is now trending towards the top of that second or third group, depending on how you define those tiers. Um, but th- they've been playing really well recently. They haven't suffered any random losses like some of the other teams at the top of the poll have. Um, then you have number 25, BYU, who beat number 11, Baylor, 78-71. Baylor suffering the two-loss week, as we'll get to eventually, and we talked about in the predictions. They also lost to Houston later. Uh, but BYU wins at home, can't win on the road. It's a really interesting team. Um, you never know how those teams fare in March when they're playing on neutral courts. If there was one team that's going to end up with a six or a seven seed that I'd be fading, uh, it's BYU, 100%. If they get the wrong matchup, they're not winning that game. They will lose in the first round. I, I'm leaning towards maybe 50, 60% chance um, that they actually get out of the first round at this point, despite the fact they've been ranked pretty much the entire season. Um, but then you have number 18, St. Mary's, who beat San Francisco 70 to 66. Uh, this was a good matchup of two great teams in the West Coast Conference. Um, you know, San Francisco not getting a lot of love. Uh, they, you know, they, their name's been mentioned here and there in the bubble. But I, I think there was a legitimate chance that this team, they might be good enough. I think if St. Mary's kind of does the dirty work for them, 
um, and takes out Gonzaga. I don't know if the bracket could work out that way, but if it does, then St. Mary's could take out Gonzaga in the in the West Coast Conference tournament. I think San Francisco is good enough to beat actually either of those teams, frankly. So, look, San Francisco might they might have a chance. They might be able to steal a bid. Um, this game was close. I think you play this game on a neutral court, and San Francisco actually wins this game uh, the way that they played on that night. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the better team overall, but it definitely is possible that they could beat St. Mary's. Um, and as such, they can definitely beat Gonzaga. So moving on from that, um, Utah State beat number 19 San Diego State 68-63. This team has never been ranked as much as the other teams in the Mountain West but they have stayed atop the Mountain West standings pretty much the entire season. They played absolutely nobody in the non-conference, and that is why uh, they didn't have much notoriety. But the fact of the matter is, their record's amazing. Uh, their conference record's amazing. They're leading the conference. They're doing pretty well. Um, so credit to Utah State for that win. Then you have number 23, Texas Tech, who beat TCU 82-81. to Another close game in the Big 12. The teams in that range of the conference just seem to beat up on each other every single week. Um, every team's going one and one. You just don't know whether to move them down or up in the pole. It's just odd. Um, but then you have number eight, Duke, speaking of beating up, uh, who beat Miami 84 to 55. Miami obviously made the final four, um, had high aspirations coming for this coming into the year, even though they lost a lot of production. Uh, but uh, they have not lived up to that at all. They are not even a team that you could argue is even on the bubble. Um, in the ACC, which has, you know, maybe four or five teams that are somewhere, maybe six teams actually, that are somewhere along the bubble, some with better chances than others. But Miami is not one of those teams at all. They are firmly out of the field. Uh, it's been a really disappointing season for the Hurricane. Um, then you have Penn State, who beat number 12, Illinois, 90-89. to um, A good win for Penn State, obviously. Not a bubble team, nothing like that. Illinois. Just find some consistency. I mean, please. They also almost lost to Iowa later in the week, and we'll talk about that. Um, but this team needs to start playing some defense, and also they were winning this game by 11 with like three minutes left. So stop choking um, is my is my uh, message to Illinois. Then you have number 13, Alabama, who beat number 24, Florida, 98-93 in overtime. I've never seen a matchup where I felt like both teams should have been ranked higher um, heading into it more so than this game. Without Latrell Reitzel, in this game, Alabama was still able to beat Florida, um, you know, and the crazy thing is I want to give credit to Alabama for winning at home against a team that's barely in the top 25, but it feels like that's right. Given what Florida has been doing, they beat Kentucky on the road. Um, they beat Auburn. They beat a bunch of teams. Look, I, I don't need to run down the list. Florida's just beaten everybody. They, it's been really hard to beat this team uh, over the past few months. Um, and they are one of the best teams in the country. I, I think, they just can't – they've had an issue of staying close with every single good team but never um, never quite finishing the job. Kind of has a uh, – kind of has a, a – they're a little bit of, of a better version of like Michigan last year where they lost like 14 or 15 games, but they lost all of them by like six or seven points um, or less. But Florida has definitely claimed a few of those wins um, in this season. Obviously beating Auburn was the big one. Beating Kentucky um, was also up there on the road. But, you know, outside of those two, they've kind of struggled to actually finish the job against the good teams. But I can just say they really do compete uh, against anybody. They're going to be a really tough matchup against a team in the tournament. And if there's a team without as much experience, you know, second round, Sweet 16, maybe you could see Florida make a pretty deep run this year. Um, they're pretty experienced, have good guard talent as well. 
Um, but then you have George Mason. They beat number 16, Dayton, 71 to 67. That's a big upset. But Dayton has uh, started to lose a few more games as of recent. Um, so Dayton sliding a little bit in the bracket, sliding a little bit in the rankings. Then you have LSU who beat number 17, Kentucky, 75 to 74. Um, Rob Dillingham went like supernova in the second half of this game, but it didn't matter because LSU is one of the teams in the country that just, for some reason, they always make some huge run. And most of the time it doesn't mean anything in this game. They were up for most of it. Kentucky made a huge run at the end of the first half to take the lead. And then LSU made a huge run, um, after Kentucky was up by 15 or 14 points to come back and tie the game and then eventually take the lead as it, as it kind of stayed close down the stretch. And then this game ended on a buzzer beater after um, Kentucky actually blocked the play that LSU had drawn up. But as the block was going out of bounds, the guy whose shot was blocked, chucked it back in bounds up for grabs to anybody. And LSU got the, I guess you could call it a de facto offensive rebound um, and tipped it back up and in. And that's how Kentucky lost. So, I'm not going to fault Kentucky too much for losing this game. It was kind of a fluky loss, being honest, um, on the road against a, you know, decent-ish team. Not a great team, but an okay team. Um, like a quad one, quad two bordering team. Um, but, you know, at some point, like I said, Kentucky's got to play some defense. Um, they just can't do that, and they haven't. But then you have New Mexico, who beat number 22, Colorado State, 68-66. Uh, good win for New Mexico. They are firmly on the bubble after what happened to them later in the week because they would later lose to Air Force, who was not good at all. Um, so that one knocked them down all the way to a legitimate bubble team after they had kind of just been a, you know, somewhat safe, but not like safe, but not on the bubble. Um, or yeah, not fully safe, but not on the bubble either type of a team. Um, but then you have number three, Purdue. They're definitely safe. Beat Rutgers 96 to 68. Uh, number 21, Washington State beat number four, Arizona, 77 to 74. Washington State got the sweep of Arizona on the season. That almost locked them into the tournament. They did do something later in the week that made it not so much a lock, but that win over Arizona was is doing them wonders, and it's almost impossible for them to miss the tournament. They'd pretty much have to lose out um, in the rest of the season. So credit to Wazoo for just coming out of nowhere and having a great season. Um, and being literally one of two teams that's going to be a guarantee to make the tournament out of the Pac-12. Um, there, You can't say anything beyond those two uh, at the top. Then you have Houston who beat Baylor in overtime, like we said earlier. Uh, number five, Tennessee beat Texas A&M, 86-51. A&M was trending towards being a ranked team. They played a ridiculous schedule. They played like, I think they're like five and six in quad one and like seven and four in quad two, something like that. They played like 20 games in quad one and two, something ridiculous. But the problem is they haven't won many of those games recently. Um, they're up, they're down to like a 16 and 12 or 16 and 13 ish record on the season. And when some of these losses are coming by margins that are as big as this, it's starting to look really ugly um, for the Aggies, even in their tournament chances. They're basically doing the opposite of what they did last year. Last year, they had a, an okay start um, and then got on fire at the end of the year to really improve their resume and put themselves firmly on the bubble. This year, they looked like a lock uh, to be in the tournament. Not a, not a full lock, but, you know, a team that should be in if they just kind of took care of business. But they've just been losing game after game after game. Uh, they haven't won any of the closely contested games in the last few weeks. They're going to start needing to do they, – they, they need to start do, doing that uh, as the season ends here or else they're going to miss the tournament. Um, but then you have Wake Forest to beat number eight, Duke 83-79. to Wake Forest needed a signature win. 
Their only quad one win on the year was uh, a home win against Florida, and Florida is kind of teetering between top 30 and not in the net. So some days you wake up and Wake Forest had one quad one win, and other days you wake up and they have zero. Um, now they will have one guaranteed because Duke's going to stay quad one, and the signature win is important for them. But they'd really like Florida to close out the season strong and make the resume look a little bit better because only having a big win over Duke I don't think is enough uh, to propel them in the tournament unless they actually, again, win out in the rest of the season. Um, then you have number nine, Kansas, who beat Texas 86-67. No Kevin McCullough in this game, which makes this win a little bit more impressive, but Texas is not really a team that I expect to compete on the road uh, at Allen Fieldhouse at all. Number 10, UNC beat Virginia 54-44, like we talked about earlier. Uh, number 12, Illinois beat Iowa 95-85. to Also talked about this game earlier uh, a little bit, so I'll skip over that one. Uh, and then two more prediction games. Number 17, Kentucky played uh, number 13, Alabama, and beat them 117-95 to in the no-defense bowl. And then number 20, South Carolina beat Ole Miss 72-59 to in the battle of uh, who has a great record but metrics don't like you. Um, and of course, South Carolina coming out with a win there. And then what I was referring to later in the week, uh, number 21, Washington State lost to Arizona State, 73 to 61. That if, if Washington State had won this game, I think they would be a lock for the tournament. But now that they've taken this bad loss, you know, there's still like a 95% chance they're in the tournament, but you'd like that number to be 99 or 100 if possible. Um, and it's just not just because of that loss. Uh, then you have UNLV. They beat number 22, Colorado State, 66 to 60. So Colorado State having a rough week, kind of tumbling from, you know, five or six seed all the way down to maybe a seven or an eight, depending on who you ask. Um, still probably in the tournament pretty safely. They just need to get back on track going forward. Then you have UCF who beat number 23, Texas Tech, 75 to 61. UCF is hard to beat on the road, but they're not really um, good, which is kind of an interesting <laughs> battle. They're, they're an okay team, but you know, they kind of only win games at home. They really have not gone on the road and gotten any impressive wins whatsoever. And they also can't really beat the top tier teams either. Like Houston has been able to go in there and get a win. Um, Iowa State, I think, would probably beat them on the road if they haven't played them already. I don't know off the top of my head if they have. But then, speaking of the Big 12, Kansas State beat number 25 BYU 84-74. to Like I said earlier, the teams at the bottom of the Big 12, uh, excuse me, the teams at the bottom of the top 25 that are in the Big 12, they always go one and one, and then you just don't know where to rank them. Um, another example of that comes here. Kansas State needed that win, though, to stay on the bubble, stay alive in that battle, and we'll see if that win was enough. Um, then you have number three, Purdue, who beat Michigan 84-76. to Don't mention Purdue a lot because of the fact they normally just blow out teams. They killed Rutgers earlier in the week, and we talked about it. I mean, I mentioned it, but I glossed over it. This game's worth mentioning because Zach Eady had 35 and 15, which is something that barely ever happens in college games. Um, so very, very much so worth noting. Uh, but also Michigan actually competed against Purdue, which is surprising, um, considering that Michigan has no Olivier and Kamla anymore um, as he was lost for the rest of the season due to an injury. I, I'm shocked that Purdue didn't destroy this Michigan team, especially because it sounded like it was Mackey Arena in there, too. There weren't many Michigan fans. I mean, it was at least a 50-50 split. Uh, but then you have number seven, Marquette, who beat Xavier 88-64. Marquette continuing their strong march. Uh, them and Tennessee are kind of the two teams that have been playing really well recently uh, in that portion of kind of, you know, the 5-10 to 10 range. But 
we'll see if they keep that up that, you know, you never know. As soon as you say that about one of these teams, they end up losing. So I don't want to jinx anything. But speaking of what I said about Creighton, they did turn around. And after beating the unbeatable team, they lost to a bubble team the game after uh, losing the St. John's 80 to 66 as Rick Pitino donned an all white suit on the sidelines to lead the Johnnies to victory. Um, I just, I, I don't know what to make of this game. I mean, St. John's good job for them, I guess, moving themselves back up on the bubble. They're still not a guaranteed tournament team. They're still not a tournament team in my eyes at all. Um, but they need some wins like that at the end of the year. The Big East tournament is going to be crazy. Um, that's about all I can say about it. Then number nine, North Carolina beat Miami 75 to 71. RJ Davis had 42 points in this game. Um, definitely improving his national player of the year odds, although Edie's 35 and 15 probably honestly was a better game than that, especially um, considering this North Carolina game was at home against Miami, who isn't too great either. Um, and then finally, number 15, Baylor went on the road and beat TCU 62 to 54 to stop their little losing streak against uh, some good teams that they were playing on the road. And then obviously Houston at home. So Baylor, doing a good job of stopping the bleeding there and uh, proving their worth as a three or four seed in the tournament. All right. Well, that wraps up our look back at the week in college basketball. It also wraps up this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, March 5th, where we will once again, look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, have another weekly look at the NBA and again, review the week in college basketball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA basketball tournament bracket predictions that will be posted on Mondays and Fridays and his picks for the weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday with all that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.